August 18th. Now, today, as we look into the New Testament, we'll be reading from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. Do I despise the church? You know, we're one in Christ, and in love must honor one another. That's one of the lessons we'll learn here in this chapter as we read. By the way, they ate their uh, love feast. The rich embarrassed the poor and brought shame to the church. Do I discern the body is another question we can ask. When we meet to celebrate the communion service, we must examine ourselves and not one another. And we must be honest with the Lord as we confess our sins. We discern His body in the bread, but we also discern it in the members of the church who eat with us. The Lord's Supper is a family feast. While it must be personal, it must not become so individual that it becomes selfish. It should be a means of promoting the unity of the church. And with that, we begin today's reading from the New Testament. August 18th, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. But now, when I, Paul, mention this next issue, I cannot praise you Corinthians, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First of all, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent I believe it. But of course there must be divisions among you, so that those of you who are right will be recognized. It's not the Lord's Supper you are concerned about when you come together. For I am told that some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Is this really true? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace the church of God and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say about these things? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly do not. For this is what the Lord Himself said, and I pass it on to you just as I received it. On the night when He was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, He took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So if anyone eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily, that person is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking from the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup unworthily, not honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. But if we examine ourselves, we will not be examined by God and judged in this way. But when we are judged and disciplined by the Lord... We will not be condemned with the world. So, dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you are really hungry, eat at home, so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. I'll give you instructions about the other matters after I arrive. I pray that the Lord's blessing will be upon us 
that He'll help us, that He'll have mercy. Because uh, one thing is for sure, we are always in need of mercy. Always. In the last two years of my life, a word that just keeps coming more and more at me in my own life, and every time I preach, reality is the word. Where is the reality of Scripture in your life? What we teach on this morning, I don't care. I don't care at all whether or not you say yes or no, amen, or so be it. Because you can acknowledge all the truths of Scripture. You can be orthodox. You can go down through all the great creeds of Christianity and say yes, yes, a thousand times yes. But if it's not a reality in your life, it does you no good. For many will come before Him on that day and say, Lord, Lord, and He'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. It's just the reality of it. When you live in a country where even the most pagan believe to have some relationship with God, but know this, you'll have heard God's Word with a blade, not dull, so as to make churches grow in all the wrong ways, but a blade to cut your heart as deep as it can be cut that you might be saved. Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I sometimes have preached in conferences and it just seems like almost the Lord has a sense of humor. Before I get up to preach, someone will sing a song that's just so unbiblical that it shakes me up so bad I don't even know how to find my text. And one of the songs that have often been sung is this song that says, I just don't know what God saw in me that He would save me. I don't know the worth that He found in me that He would save me. And after I get up and I look and I say, look, folks, uh, before I start my sermon, let me just answer the question of the person who sang. He did not see any worth whatsoever in you so as to save you. He saved you for two primary reasons. First of all, He saved you for His own glory. He saved you to demonstrate how great He is that a God like Him would take interest in a vile person like you and me. Secondly, He saved you because He is love. It is a part. It is what He is. He loves because He is love. He does not love because that love is drawn out of Him by some motivation springing forth from you. When God looks at a man apart from Christ, the only thing He could be motivated to do is judge him. But God is moved in love to save for His own glory and to demonstrate His power. Now, why do I say that? I say that because you need to understand something. Salvation is not a mere human decision by which people decide to jump out of the line going to hell in order to jump into the line going to heaven. Salvation is a supernatural work of God whereby the power of God is so manifested that it either parallels or exceeds the power of God manifested when He created the world. When God saves an individual, His power 
His attributes, the essence of who He is, is going to be so manifest that even the pagan, unbelieving world is going to note a difference. In American evangelicalism today, you are going to heaven because you repeated a superstitious prayer. You supposedly asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart. You raised your hand, but there is no difference whatsoever in your life. And that's what we're looking at. Reality. What is the reality of God in your life? Psalm 35, verses 17 through 28. How long, O Lord, will you look on and do nothing? Rescue me from their fierce attacks. Protect my life from these lions. Then I will thank you in front of the entire congregation. I will praise you before all the people. Don't let my treacherous enemies rejoice over my defeat. Don't let those who hate me without cause gloat over my sorrow. They don't talk of peace. They plot against innocent people who are minding their own business. They shout that they have seen me doing wrong. Aha, they say, aha, with our own eyes, we saw him do it. Oh, Lord, you know all about this. Do not stay silent. Don't abandon me now, O oh Lord. Wake up. Rise to my defense. Take up my case, my God and my Lord. Declare me not guilty, O oh Lord, my God. For you give justice. Don't let my enemies laugh about me in my troubles. Don't let them say, Look, we have what we wanted. Now we will eat him alive. May those who rejoice at my troubles be humiliated and disgraced. May those who triumph over me be covered with shame and dishonor. But give great joy to those who have stood with me in my defense. Let them continually say, Great is the Lord who enjoys helping his servant. Then I will tell everyone of your justice and goodness, and I will praise you all day long. Proverbs 21, verses 19 and 20. It is better to live alone in the desert than with a crabby complaining wife. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get.